Hi, I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to my podcast number 472, Stage 7, New Jobs and New Events in Play Routines from Stages of Play for Toddlers and Preschoolers with Language Delays, brought to you by my website, Teach Me to Talk, where we're the largest provider of ASHA-approved CEUs for early intervention. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you're new, welcome, and if you're not, welcome back. (laughs) Let me explain what you're watching or listening to today. Each of my podcasts is actually a continuing education course for therapists, but we are so happy to have parents join us for these courses. Now, each uh, length of the standard length for a course is about an hour. Today's show is going to run a little bit longer, more toward an hour and a half. If you can't watch or listen to it all in one sitting, that is okay. Even if you are here for continuing education credits, just watch uh, whenever you can fit it in. Uh, If you're new to our YouTube channel, we would certainly appreciate your support, so please subscribe and like this video. Okay, for therapists, I'll be including the link below to purchase CE credit in our $5 CEUs, and that includes CE credit plus the great handout for each show, which really uh, would be your show notes. There's also an option for parents to purchase uh, the handout if you would like to have a written summary of today's information. So today we're going to be looking at, like I said before, stage seven. We're all the way up to stage seven, and here we are chronologically looking at children who are 30 to 36 months old. And all the information is on the handout, so if you purchase that, please follow along. Now, we're at the seventh stage of play, and remember, most of this work is based on Dr. Carol Westby's symbolic play scale. And if that's a new tool for you, or new terminology for you, it really is talking about how children learn how to pretend, and how that process of pretend play evolves and how closely it mirrors language development. Now, because we're up to 30 to 36 months, uh, this is the chronological age, again, for children who are experiencing typical development, but preschoolers with language delays will also be in this stage, too. Now, if you are strictly a birth to three SLP, this is where you get off the train, right? (laughs) You probably don't even see tons of kids who get to this developmental range, particularly with language and that's okay. So this will be a good review of typical development for you if you by chance like me tend to see kids that are more uh, significantly uh, affected by their developmental difference. All right, so let's talk about the three big developments that are going on here at stage seven for play skills. Number one, like we've been talking about, pretending really, really increases. So we've kind of walked a kid through this process and if you've followed me through this series, you know, we started back at under uh, that exploratory play phase at under 12 months, so that birth to eight month level. And then we walked a kid all the way through all of these processes. And now, as a kid is two and a half to three years old, play is now dominated by pretending. And so they'll still do some constructive play and they'll still do, you know, some other things that seem like to a parent. A parent might call it more with baby toys, but pretending takes on such an important role for children here between two and a half and three. And so what does pretending look like for this 
age. Uh, usually they are using several steps during familiar activities, but now at this stage, we talked about la at last stage, at stage six, they started to do things that their caregivers would do, and then it expanded a little bit beyond that with less familiar things they would do, and now we're really getting into that with less familiar activities, so that's why I've started to call this new jobs and new events. So these are less frequent events that you'll start to see them pretend but that were personally experienced, particularly those that were memorable in some way. And that could be a pleasurable memory, like going on vacation or getting ice cream or just, you know, riding a pony or something that's just, you know, a wow experience for a toddler or preschooler. And it could include, as our colleagues in psychology will tell us, those events that are traumatic. So that if, and I'm, I'm not talking about traumatic like abuse, which although that could certainly be something, but what I'm really talking about, something like getting a shot at the doctor's office or getting a haircut or going to the dentist and they were maybe a little traumatized by that or anything that would happen. Uh, and so these kinds of new pretend play schemes that they're doing are really going to be tied to their memory. So if something's more dramatic, they can remember it now and they'll have the language to act it out. Let me give you a really cute example from my real life. A couple of weeks ago, I was visiting uh, two of our children and I happen to, uh, we have two children that are two years old, <laughs> two grandchildren that are two years old. And so it's so exciting to see that language development. And one of them, the little boy, I was playing with him. I actually stayed with our daughter and he's her son. And uh, he, he, we were looking at his whole collection of cars. And so he has lots of Hot Wheels and then he has cars from other kinds of uh, movies or shows. And he has several cars from the Disney movie Cars. And so he got the Lightning McQueen and he was looking at that and then he started to look around and I'm going to look at exactly what he said. He started to look around and then all of a sudden he just kind of looked at me and said, Lala, Mater hurt my big toe on Christmas. Well, I was shocked to hear him say that because, first of all, it's a pretty long sentence, but it obviously he's talking about something that wasn't right in front of him. He remembered Mater, another character in the Cars movie, because he had Lightning McQueen right there with him. And then, again, to tell me a story like that, and his parents were both shocked, too. He had never said anything like that before. He had not made a reference to Christmas, and this was in February. So you can see as a child's language develops, they can start to talk to you about memories and previous experiences and and we can certainly see how those have impacted their little lives because they're still thinking about it and now they're able to talk about it all right the second big development that happens with play skills is that children begin to take on more roles and they begin to shift those roles in very basic play schemes so for example sometimes a child may pretend that he is the doctor if he's playing with a play kit with some baby dolls but sometimes a child, uh, but sometimes he might be the patient. So if mom decides to play and mom says, I'm the doctor, the child is now able to shift roles. And we haven't really seen that before. And remember last time, role play just came in in stage six. So this is that next little um, maturation of that as our children get to that level now where they're not, they're not only the mommy or they're not 
only the firefighter. Now they can perhaps be another role. But again, within those really basic play schemes that you've already seen them participate in, uh, even back in stage six. Uh, and so again, sometimes if you're introducing new play themes, that's certainly something that we want to do. And I want to be sure in this show particularly that we talk about how to get kids to kind of that next level. Because it seems to me, just looking at all this from strictly an EISLP uh, perspective here, that we do have a hard time sometimes getting kids to bump on up to that next level because sometimes we don't have experiences with kids who again are that uh, still have typical play skill development sometimes especially like like I said at the beginning of the show, if you tend to see kids that are a little bit more on the severe range, you may not get here. So this is certainly something that we kind of need to be prodded and reminded to do as we're working with children here. So we want to be sure that we help children learn to take on more roles and begin to shift those roles. Another big development that happens along these same lines is that they begin to talk to dolls or characters as if they're a playmate. And so you'll see this happen, and it's so, so cute when it happens, and it happens early in baby doll play they'll start to really talk to their baby dolls and maybe put them in a stroller and they'll say something like sit here baby or if they're uh, trying to feed the baby they'll say baby eat this or open your mouth or those kinds of things and again it's kind of uh it's just really, uh, I love it when it comes in because you can see that their play skills had developed. What I started to say, and I'll go ahead and say it since you've already heard my hesitations. Uh, I was thinking about the kids that, that start to sound pretty dictatorial when they start to do that. They're really bossy. And sometimes moms, when they hear it, they think, oh no, is that how I sound? And certainly I've heard things come out of my own little client's mouths that I think, oh no, they sound like me here. I got to pull that back. But it's really, really cute uh, when, when that sort of skill begins to come in. The third big development that happens here at stage seven is that play does finally become uh, so symbolic that parents begin to recognize it. And again, we've talked about how children have needed lifelike props to be able to really start to pretend. And that will certainly continue here. But now as children march toward turning three or that 36 month developmental level, you'll see that they do begin to pretend and use one object to represent something else. And I think I gave this example back in stage six, but it's such a good one, I'll give it again. Let's say a child is outside playing and he might have a stick. And one time the stick is a weapon that he's gonna use, maybe a sword to fight the bad guys. But if he's over pretending that he's making some food, he might use that stick to stir in a bowl. He might use that same stick later as a magic wand to cast an, an evil spell or cast out an evil spell as he's playing. But then he might use it again, you know, five minutes later as his shovel. So we'll start to see a lot more symbolism like that. I remember, again, an example from my own children. They like to, at meals, pretend that their utensils were people. And so sometimes those utensils would talk. They would make them be various vehicles and uh, fly through the air like an airplane and certainly sing into those like a microphone. So you can see that that sort of progression does really start to happen here between two and a half and three. Now, the biggest development in language in this stage is questions. Children not only begin to answer questions, which makes them seem a lot more responsive and conversational to their parents, <laughs> but they also start to ask questions. And we're, we're talking about WH questions. So let me just give you the list here. It's what questions or what is somebody doing questions who questions or whose, you know, who's that, 
uh, you know, who is that guy? Who is hiding behind the curtain? Uh, who is barking? You know, any anything that a noun would be the answer to. Where questions? So where did Daddy go? Where's my ball? Uh, those kinds of questions. And then why questions also come in here as children, again, get closer and closer to the 36-month developmental level. Now, why is a tricky question? Because <laughs> children may start to ask that even before they really even know that they should wait for an answer. Why kind of becomes just one of those I guess it's, we could liken it to an earworm that children just say it and hear it. And, you know, again, even if they're developmentally not really ready to wait and listen to your very logical, very rational <laughs> explanation for why they can't or should do something. Uh, so, again, we'll start to hear why. But it's in stage eight or that next developmental period between three and four years that we uh, really start to see a child begin to understand why questions. But here they start to work it out as they become better and better problems solvers. All right, so like we pointed out in the previous stages, and as I've already mentioned earlier in the show, older preschoolers, <clears throat> pardon me, with language delays may still be in this stage of play too. So it doesn't matter how old the child is. If this is where his developmental skills are falling, or if it's what you're building to, it's that next little rung of goals, this is the stage of play that a child is in no matter how old he is. And so sometimes you uh, may need to alter the materials for children who are significantly older. So say a child is five or six, but still back here at the 30 to 36 month developmental level. And remember what we said, they'll just be starting to pretend. And language wise, we see kids move from uh, three word phrases to continue to add that ne next level of words or next little sequence of words so that they're bumping up uh, to use more and more sentences. And we'll talk about that. But let me say, when we have children who are older, but still in this developmental range, particularly for this range, as kids start to get older and older, uh, you may need to modify the material. So when I'm talking about baby dolls here for a two-year-old, if you have a five or six-year-old who's not interested in that play-wise, you can use Barbies or you can use superheroes or anything else that a child likes. Just kind of fold it into the same strategies and activities that we'll be talking about. Uh, and we'll also talk about how to move those kids along too as we uh, progress. So for stage seven, like we've done for every other stage in this podcast series, Let's go ahead and do our systematic review of play skills and language skills. So let's start with the specific play skills that we see here in stage seven, and it's all on your handout. So let's take a look at that now. So play skills at stage seven. So again, this is based on uh, Carol Westby's work. And so for themes, our play now includes less frequent events tied to some kind of previous experience or memory or something that a child is really, really into. And so let me give you an example. Let's say that a child really, really likes firefighters. Well, he may not have actually seen a house fire. <laughs> or been there when uh, firefighters have rushed in and rescued someone, but he's seen fire trucks. He's heard the sirens. He's probably seen them in books or maybe on a puzzle. So he does have some previous experience and it's important to him. So again, that's why he would want to play that. And those are the experiences that we can pull from to really move a kid toward this kind of play when he's not naturally going there on his own. And so we remember we said that here at stage seven, they're doing kind of more special events play. And let me just say, we'll continue to see this bump 
keep on going throughout uh, the whole preschool period. But here at stage seven, it's about special events or new events. So that's why I'm calling this new events and new jobs. Remember at stage five and stage six, stage five, they started to do some caregiver routines. Remember we said their first little thing might be doing housework activities. So we talked about that any kind of little housework activity set with a broom or a mop or a dust rag or something to kind of get kids going like that. And then in stage six, in the last stage, in 471, the show that we just finished, uh, children bumped up to do more caregiver activities. So this is where between two and two and a half, they start to pretend that they are taking care of the baby doll. And see, now at, at stage seven, we're going to see that extend even more. Remember what we said about dolls? We said that they were going to start to talk to their dolls now. It's that next little maturation of how they would pretend. So again, new events and new jobs. So something like going to the zoo, something that happened at grandma's house, something that, you know, happened when you were out at a store and, and uh, oh, I don't know, just any kind of unexpected event. Maybe you saw a person with a dog in the store and that your child remembers that and wants to talk about that and wants to think about that. So that would naturally be something that you could pretend even in play. And again, remember, these are ideas for children who are just on the cusp of that of being able to do it on their own or perhaps they're kind of stuck and you can't get them there use those previous experiences that they've had to try to uh, bump that along so again we're going to start to see them play new things that they don't do every day and you'll have those experiences where like with my little grandson Henry and he starts telling me about Mater you know fell on his big toe on Christmas you'll start to hear some of that language too and so again this will be really really help you and get your wheels turning with the kinds of things that you could use as therapy events that you haven't uh, pretended before with a child all right so now let's look at the organization for play uh, play is much more organized now with longer sequences and so there will be more steps remember we said back in stage five we wanted two steps and we called that stage of play combining play actions then in stage six we said that we would try to get one or two more things where they could do more steps maybe a three-step play routine or a four-step play routine so we certainly want to see that that increase even as we're here at stage seven and even if they are doing more familiar kinds of play you know caregiver activities and the things that we've already talked about we the the focus with that for us therapeutically should be hey can I get another step what would come next what can I get her to do next what would be that next logical thing that she would want to do and how can I introduce that and what props can I have that here to make that easier for her to be able to go on and take that next little step so great great uh, things for us to think about we already talked about um how children with that next little progression begin to talk to a doll or a toy. So let's say that they're into Thomas the Train. They may start to really talk to Thomas like he's their little friend. And so it is fantastic to hear language that way. So for therapy, when we have a child who's not doing that, we should start to model that for them. So model talking to a doll or model talking to uh, that character. So if you're playing with Thomas and uh, that's a play routine that you've done for months with the child and it's one of his little obsessions, you know, start to talk to Thomas the next time that you play and say things like, Thomas, come over here or Thomas, hook on to James or Thomas, it's time to go to the station. Come on, Thomas, and really model those kinds of phrases. If you will link it to the language a child already uses, it may be even easier for him to do that. So pay attention 
attention to the kinds of things, kinds of phrases and the kinds of uh, nouns and verbs that you already use and try to use that again. And when we, when we do that, we're taking, we're not making everything about it new. So if you were, if this is a new skill for a child to be able to talk to a doll or a playmate, a new little social language thing. If you try to introduce new words at the same time, that may be too difficult. So we always want to keep old words with new functions or new skills. And then when we're working on new words, we want to keep them where? Back in old skills or familiar activities. And again, this isn't for every child. Some children breeze through new things. But you know those kinds of kids that, you know, every new little rung, you have to kind of get a run and start to go there. <laughs> and so thinking about that, if I've got new vocabulary, I need to keep it in a more familiar activity or something that they've already mastered so they can just focus on the new part with the new vocabulary or again if it's a new skill a new activity we want to use those familiar words so that again every single thing is not new now another big development that we mentioned here with play skills that I want to uh, touch on briefly before we move on to looking at language and at toys would be roles and remember we said now here at stage seven they can shift roles back in the previous stage they started you started to see in their play gosh he's pretending now you know he's the police officer and it, it may not be that mature yet or you know he's pretending now he's the daddy or he's pretending now that he's the you know, whoever, there's some kind of role. He's the teacher. He's acting like his, the, he's the teacher and he's sitting down and, you know, pretending to do circle time with all of his little animals there. And so you can see those kinds of things happen. Well, here now, like we said at stage seven, they begin to shift roles and expand those roles. So they've got new jobs that are going on within new events. So, for example, let's say that you have pretended, uh, while you're playing kitchen and this is a real fun routine if you've not ever done this with a child have them make you something to drink and so you say mm, i'm thirsty i want to drink and again here thirsty is an important word here at stage seven and when we get to the language skills we'll review it but that's one of the physical state words and one of the newer kinds of words that come in here in this developmental range so you may again be saying you know to them and really kind of modeling ahead. You know, I'm thirsty. I want something to drink. Please fix me something to drink. And so they'll go fix you something. Or you may even say, you know, fix me some milk or I want juice or whatever. And so they go and they fix it for you and bring it back. And instead of pretending like it's good and yummy, like we instinctively do, pretend like you don't like it. You know, maybe even go as far as to kind of spit it out a little bit like, you know, ooh, gross. I don't like this. You know, and most of the time kids are going to stop and really look at you and then think it's hysterical and want you to do it again. But you're really, again, facilitating that conversational back and forth where they should say, why or what's wrong or you know something uh to ask you know how that how they can fix it and they'll get into that role playing and really want to do that and then fix you something else and you might offer things like it's too hot or it's too cold or 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 i wanted milk and you fixed me coffee or whatever you want to say but again it's a it's a, a really good way to help them extend uh, a new action in an established play routine and so you always kind of want to look for that uh, for what for what might be a, ne a next new response now let me just say don't get too far ahead of yourself because here at stage seven children aren't going to be able to 
add a new ending to a play routine spontaneously. So let's say when they first start to pretend that they're going to the doctor, they you'll see recognize what's happening. They'll use the same kinds of steps and same kinds of sequences that they experienced at the doctor's office or that you've played with them or that you've read about in a book. Just something that they can draw on from a previous experience. So don't get so crazy here at stage seven, changing the ends of play routines. That will come later. I'm just saying right now to introduce maybe even a little flexibility <laughs> for our friends. Those are kind of some new things that you can do to help expand roles, even if they're not quite ready to shift roles now. And again, if child if a child is always maybe in baby doll play, pretended to be the mommy or the daddy, help them be the doctor now, you know, and do some doctor play. And we're going to talk about that when we uh, look at it the toys that we recommend here at stage seven or if a child goes to daycare a natural thing for him to pretend to do is to be the teacher and so i gave that little example and that's another example from henry from something that he did the last time that i spent the weekend with them but that might be something that you can do to get this character play going and you don't have to use dolls if you think you know oh we don't have a lot of baby dolls or i'm not sure i want my four-year-old little boy playing with dolls you know i'm just not sure about this uh, you can use characters, like I said, if he likes trains, you line his little trains up. You know, you have Thomas and James and Percy, you know, sit right there and, you know, you say, oh, you're the teacher. Let's do circle time like you do at school. What do you do at circle time? What will you make James and Percy and James do? And so, or Thomas and Percy and James do. And so you can talk about the things that they do, whether it's singing a song or reading a book or talking about the weather or whatever it is that they do in their little classroom and so help them begin to draw on those experiences uh, to pretend you may have missed some of these they may have already started doing some of these things as they're playing you may notice when they're playing with their animals they may say you know, sit down or go to sleep or eat this or whatever and so look at that and listen for those things and start to pick out those times when they are beginning to take on a new role all right let's talk about the social aspects of play here at stage seven and these are really the same as stage six although they begin to intensify a little bit so the big thing with the social aspect of play is that other children are now involved in a toddler's play experiences here between two and a half to three years old so they may still still do some solitary play especially when play is new but then with other children they'll start to watch other children and we call that officially onlooker play they'll begin to talk and verbalize with other kids more during parallel play and remember parallel play is opposite from cooperative play or associative play or whatever you call that next rung where kids really plan and do things together parallel play means they're just both sitting there doing the same thing and again they may talk to each other a little bit now and look at each other but they're not really planning and saying hey you you know you have your blocks and i have my bulldozer and you stack your blocks up where i can come knock it down with my bulldozer when a kid's doing parallel play like that they're still going to kind of stay uh to themselves or <laughs> You may start to see those little examples or those little instances where they do start to really interact and sort of talk about what they're doing, especially if they are doing exactly the same thing, like digging in a sandbox or splashing in water. And you will, you know, again, as uh, stage seven moves on and on, you'll start to hear even more language happen, you know, between those kids. All right, so that's it for play skills. Now let's move on and talk about language skills in stage seven. So here in stage seven, kids are talking. And like we said, 
the the kind of average there at 27 months is lots and lots of three word phrases so by the time they hit 36 months we hear a lot of short sentences now what do i mean by short sentences and boy did we talk about this a lot back in the language milestones podcast series if you haven't listened to those shows i'm going to give you the numbers later that correspond with this age range so you can check those things out but by sentences here i mean a subject and a verb and so, uh, let me see, the exact MLU that we have for a child who's 36 months is 2.5 to 3.0. And so, if you're a speech pathologist, that means a lot to you. I try to just think about it again as we want to get longer and longer sentences. And so, here, let's look at the specifics. Now, back at stage six, this is what we talked about that a child is mastering between two and two and a half. And so, that we know for lots of our little friends who were in that two and a half to three, they're still kind of working on this. So let's review these because again, I kind of consider this as our our next step where when I talk to pediatric SLPs, this is where preschool therapists really, again, have kind of their, their just bread and butter. They live on teaching these things and we in early intervention sometimes don't get to these really specifics. We're still working on words and vocabulary and just getting kids to be able to do phrases consistently. And this is that next level of goals. So if you find yourself with your language kids wondering, what do I do next? This is what you do next. (laughs) So let's review these. And so again, these emerged in stage six, but we really want to see these stabilized here at stage seven. And you can look at this. They're all listed on your handout. So the first thing is a variety of verbs. And here verb tenses start to emerge. And so we will hear particularly ing verbs so like eating sleeping drinking running washing those kinds of words and uh, like i said the variety of verbs increase and so all children pardon me all children whether they talk on time or whether they are late talkers are always working on vocabulary development so you will never go wrong (laughs) teaching a child new verbs, new nouns, new whatever part of speech you want to think about. But uh, certainly nouns and verbs, we need to keep constantly making sure that we are looking at vocabulary development and really, really staying on top of that, particularly for our little friends who have been late talkers. The next uh, little piece of grammar that we want a child to master would be plurals and that would be shoe one shoe versus two shoes and so marking that pluralization whether it sounds like an s or a z there so we certainly i want to see plurals emerge and so how do you do that you work on uh in play, you make sure you have more than one of everything that you're playing with. <laughs> so you're not just going to play with one ball. You're going to have balls so that you can really emphasize that plural S there. Uh, you're not going to have one cookie at snack time. You're going to have cookies. And you're really going to talk about that and really, like I'm doing now, emphasize that ending so that a child really, really uh, begins to hear that and understand that and really incorporate that into his own speech. The next uh, little milestone is related to that sort of with that ending with an S, but this time we're going to give it a new meaning and make it possessive. So mommy's shoe, daddy's truck, baby's hair, you know, baby's cup, you know, whatever you want to use there. But again, emphasize that last sound and really talk about who that thing belongs to. That's possessive. By the end of this period, we want to hear a lot of different pronouns. And so I, you, and it 
are kind of that second rung of pronouns. Uh, the first rung were those that involved those versions of me. So me, my, and mine, and then I, you, and it. And then after 36 months and closer to 36 months, we're going to start to hear some gender pronouns. So he and she, and then also some plural pronouns like we and us and they. Uh, and some of those may be, you know, again, a little closer to four, but I want us to really think about what's kind of coming up too. So that pronoun variability. Uh, negation emerged in stage six. So that was adding no to another word to kind of cancel out that word. So no sleep, <laughs> meaning I'm not going to go to sleep right now. No cookie. I don't want that cookie. Uh, no running, which might be one of your rules. You don't want them running in the house so that a child really understands that they can put no on there and mean I'm not going to do it. A lot of kids, before they begin to use that verbally, you'll see them say a word but shake their head no at the same time. <laughs> so if you're, uh, if you are asking them, you know, uh, or, you know, what do you want to drink? They might say milk, meaning I don't want milk. <laughs> but they don't have the word for that yet. And that lets you know, oh my goodness, she's trying to say that. So we provide that word and it starts with recognizing it with what does she mean and how do I give her the words for that? And we've talked a lot about linguistic mapping and that's all that means is you're going to really watch for what a kid is trying to do or trying to say and then give a child those words and keep it about the same length as what they would say and remember you know these are probably new words because they're not saying it right but you want to keep the same kind of um, well let me just say if they're a child using phrases you're not going to give a three sentence explanation <laughs> because you want them to imitate so you model what you would want them to say all right and the last little skill here would be prepositions. And remember, we've talked about prepositions. You know, those are location words. So up and down, in and out, on and off, here and there, and under are the prepositions that usually emerge by 36 months. And the kicker here is not just using the word uh, alone or independently. It's putting that preposition in the phrase. So in car, on the table, under chair. And again, they may have the the, the article, that little word in the middle. They may have that, but that usually comes in uh, right around 36 months. So it's not, I, I've included that in the next uh, round of goals, but that's coming up. All right. New language milestones. So let's talk about what comes in new here as kids get closer to 36 months. They become a lot more conversational. And remember why we said that was because they are now able to respond to questions and ask questions. So now they can take many more turns in conversations. And this is just a huge marker for me language-wise. If I can get a kid to try to sit and talk to me, even if he or she's not using a ton of words, but they're able to sit there and really understand and kind of that reciprocity of the conversation and, and participate in that conversation with back and forth turns. Dr. Rossetti says that by 36 months, kids need to be taking four to seven turns in conversation. Now that sounds like a lot for our little guys with language delays, but if you spend time with typically developing children who are between 30 and 36 months, they can certainly sit there and do that, ask you questions, respond to questions. And so that certainly is something that we as SLPs need to think about. 
uh, and working into our therapy sessions and really talking to mom and dad about it. And that's something that so many people email me about it, teach me to talk, is they'll say, I still can't get my child to understand questions yet. I still can't get him to respond to questions. And so this, when you think about that, that's a skill that comes in by 36 months. So as an SLP, you know, oh, I haven't gotten them over the hump yet. We're still hanging out here in Toddlerville <laughs> because I can't get the WH questions to emerge. And so you're just going to have to double down and work on those kinds of things. And we'll talk about how to do that, particularly in these, or I'm not talking about a preschooler who you've worked on it for a year and you still can't get it to come in. I'm talking about uh, kids here who are close to this age range with 30 to 36 months and the things that we do to naturally help those WH questions uh, come in. And so we'll talk about that as we get to the toy review. All right, other language skills, a big receptive language skill here. And remember, receptive language is a child's ability to understand and comprehend language rather than expressive, which means what he can say or tell us. But a big receptive language skill here is following three-step unrelated commands. And this is hard <laughs> for lots of our little friends, right? And so what do we have to do? Lots of times it's tied to working memory. They just can't hold that much memory in their little brains, you know, three items or three directions here. And we did this for two-part commands when we were talking about our little guys that at 24 months couldn't get to that two-step level. And so we're going to use the same strategy that we used back then. It was really, really breaking down the commands into specific parts, giving those visual cues. Remember we said, tell him, show him, help him. That was our primary language strategy up to about 24 months. It's really cueing a child with verbal cues and then showing him with visual cues and then helping him with physical hands-on assistance. And so now we're going to do the same thing here for three uh, step commands. And remember, this is supposed to be unrelated, but for so many of our little friends, just getting that third step in there, even if it is related. Uh, so related commands mean things that have uh, to do with each other. So like, go get your shoes, go sit on the couch and wait for mommy to put them on. Or, uh, you know, that would all be related to getting your shoes on or something like that. You know, so all three commands related to getting in the bathtub or three commands related to, you know, throwing away their trash at lunch. You know, something like get your plate in your cup and go put your, you know, dump your food and then put your uh, plate and cup in the sink. And that may be a little hard for, that would be a lot hard. <laughs> for lots of language-delayed preschoolers. But at the same time, those are the kinds of things that we want to build up to. So use your visual cues of that, and let me teach you one more trick. And this is what I started talking about uh, back at 24 months. When children really are having difficulty kind of holding on to that information, practice with that and have them give you three separate items. And remember we said before during cleanup with a puzzle, at that 24-month level, we might say, you know, as the puzzle's sitting there and they put all the pieces together, we might hold our hands out and say, you know, give me the car and the truck or give me the dog and the cat. So here we're going to do it with three. And I usually just hold up three fingers as my visual cue as I'm doing it. And same kind of thing. You're going to say, you know, if you're playing with a set of zoo animals, give me a zebra, a lion, and an elephant. And you're going to wait for them to, you know, again, put it there. You may have to do some repetition so that they, you know, can hear that again. Again, you know, you know, listen to what Laura said. I said zebra, lion, and elephant. You find it. Zebra, lion, 
elephant, go, you know, and you help them, you know, you see them get the zebra and you say, yes, you got a zebra. What were the other two? And, you know, really uh, give them those cues and questions so that they can follow through. And so I think that's a really, really great way to target that. It's really practical. It helps the child uh, work on those in-between kind of steps before you, you know, really start working at the goal level with three-step unrelated commands. Some kids aren't ready for that. So again, it's a nice way to teach parents how to target it at home and work on it in a really, really functional um, way. And so when I'm teaching this to parents, I say, you know, think about, tell them to get an object, then have them do two different things with it. And so that's a good way to help parents remember. So if you were playing with a farm set, you might say, get the pig and make him run to the barn and go to sleep. Or if you were playing with baby dolls, you know, your baby is hungry. She wants a cookie, a banana, and an apple. You find it. Ready? You know, or even the two things, you know, I said, I think I added one more thing there. Uh, but, but really, that's a way to, again, provide that in-between step for additional practice. So other language goals here, kids begin to count one, two, three. They understand quantity words like one versus all. And so you can easily teach those things uh, with a snack, you know, giving a child, you know, you have a pile of cookies there and you say you want one cookie or all the cookies. They are going to understand the difference in those words pretty quickly with you showing them when they say one, you know, you slide one across there and you've still got your whole big pile right there. And so they start to really understand that difference. Uh, another goal that I talked to parents about working on because it's an easier one for them to remember at home. And then you may not have to work on it very much in therapy if a parent's doing more of the heavy lifting there. So identifying parts of an object. And so you can do a ton of vocabulary teaching uh, in therapy to make it happen, or parents, again, can do this kind of thing at home. So when you're playing with something, ask them about different parts. So if they're playing with a truck, you say, where are the wheels? Show me the window. Find the door. You know, uh, whatever little part that you can think of to ask them. If you're playing with a toy house, same kinds of things. Show me the window. Uh, where's the door? Find the roof. Uh, whatever vocabulary that you're working on teaching a child or that a child already, again, um, might already know, you want him to find those particular pieces. You can do it in daily routines, too. When they put on their coat, you know, where's your pocket? Where's your zipper? Put your hood on. Where's your hood? Find your hat. Where's the hat on your coat? And again, you're teaching... Lots of times you're teaching the vocabulary, but sometimes you're really just teaching them to identify that particular part. All right, we talked about these words earlier when I mentioned it in an example, but a fun type of word to emerge here, it's a descriptive word here as children are turning three, would be physical state words like hungry, sleepy, tired. If you're thinking about potty training, you know, wet versus dirty or poopy or whatever word you use for that. And so we certainly will work on these kinds of words all day in every, uh, everyday routines, but it's so much fun to include these kinds of words in play themes. And it's certainly a way to help children understand why something occurs and remember we already talked about that kids are going to kind of be wrestling with that in this developmental period and the next developmental language period and so it's a great way to kind of work on that and it just gives you lots of opportunities uh, play-wise and so if you wondered sometimes why a child hasn't understood those kinds of words or made the connection it's usually because they're not at the 30 to 36 month language level yet so you've got to get them there all right another big goal here is stating gender 
and their own gender when asked, are you a boy or a girl? And yes, even in this age that we're living in, <laughs> this is still important. And kids have to get the boy-girl piece right before they are ever able to master gender pronouns like he and him and she and her. So we have to work on that. Another language skill here is stating their first and last name. And so you may have worked on this before now and certainly probably a child's first name because many toddlers use their names in conversation before they start to use pronouns. So instead of saying I want ice cream, you know, Ellie wants ice cream is uh, what a child might say. But here, by the time they turn three, we really want them answering what's your name with their first and last name. Now, because children are often asked what's your name and how old are you, <laughs> almost simultaneously in conversation, they often get those questions confused. And so you say, what's your name? And they say two. And so we really have to practice, practice, practice to help kids understand it. I try to do it by teaching what name means. So my name is Laura and your name is Ben or uh, this is mommy. Her name is mommy and your name is you know Sharon or whatever a baby's name is there. So talk about that and really, really practice. You know, you are two, but your brother is five. Uh, and those kinds of repetitious practice, uh, parents do that all the time, but we really want, um, want to talk about that and want kids to master that by the time they turn three. Now, I mentioned this during our last stage of play back in stage six, but I want to say it again, and I think I've already mentioned it once here on this show, but four specific ways to teach all of those really specific goals that I mentioned, those ing verbs and more pronouns and prepositions in a phrase. If you need help teaching those kinds of words, my therapy manual, Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual is full of really practical ideas for you to do, not only in therapy, but at home for carryover activities for parents, or if you happen to be a parent going it alone and doing lots and lots of speech therapy with your own child at home, that's a great resource for you to give you ideas for how to teach those specific skills. And then I've also done a podcast series about this called the Language Milestones Podcast Series, and we did those shows in six-month increments. And the shows that compare to this age range at stage 7, 30 to 36 months, are going to be shows 458 and 459. So take a look at those and check those out if you need more ideas for teaching all those really specific language milestones. So let's briefly talk about activities and strategies before we get into our recommended toys. So remember at stage 7, what are our primary purposes for play skills? We want to help a kid do what? Look at your title here on your handout, new jobs and new events. So we want a child to expand to new things that he has not really played before. And remember what we said about that. We're going to try to tie it to those previous experiences. So he has some kind of life experience to pull from there. And then we want him really doing what else? Expanding his play and sequencing more steps. So new roles and then shifting roles too. So our best strategy here. Even as children move from, again, uh, just the, the, the more basic pretend play as we move on, our best strategy is still adult modeling, which means what? 
you have to show them and you have to play with them and you've really got to again get in there and think on your feet so that you're thinking oh how can I get him to do a new step or what is it that we might have done or what did I hear his mom say to me that they have done lately that I can include and move you know help him move on to a new kind of play theme or a new role and so do some Uh, just detective work if you are a therapist even if you don't see parents very often you know ask them what are some of the kinds of things that you guys have been doing you know they may talk to you about birthday parties or or anything so let me just give you some examples let's say that you were playing uh, let's say that you have heard from the parent that they went to the zoo and so that you were playing zoo with the child what could you do to get him to shift his role or take on a new role so as he's moving the animals you know you know making the tiger walk or the elephant walk or get a drink or whatever you could say you are taking care of the animals you are the zookeeper and so again you are labeling that role and you were telling him and and sometimes kids you know for whatever reason may not like that back it back down if that's if a kid seems to like not understand or whatever you can say you know you are the daddy or you are the man who washes the animals or you are the man who feeds the animals at the zoo and so you are helping them bridge that gap and kind of get there uh, let's say that your child just got a haircut and so that might be something that you're going to pretend and I'm going to show you a really cute play-doh toy a haircut toy so you might say you know to your child you are the barber or you might even say you know your hairdresser's name you know we would say to Henry you are Brooke <laughs> so that he would understand oh I'm gonna do what Brooke does when she cuts my hair I have the scissors and I'm the one that's doing the haircut and you know, mommy's the one in the chair and so again help them really understand those roles by talking about them and labeling them and you don't have to do it again for 45 minutes where you're saying remember last Tuesday when we went to the hairdressers first we stopped you know you don't have to do all that just just help them label it and help them kind of again enough information to remember but don't over talk it because then you might lose a child in the middle of all that um so uh, just just think about that all right back like we talked about back in stage six here at stage seven we also want to be sure that a child is learning to become symbolic so how do we do that we introduce the symbolism during play so some simple simple examples and I think I've given this before but if you are playing blocks with a child you say oh look now my block is a choo-choo watch it choo-choo as you push it across the floor or as you join other blocks like you're building a train and so when you introduce those things you know again a kid might not catch on at the beginning he might not participate very much but you keep doing it again to kind of build that in there and while you know after your block has become trained you know a little bit later as you're playing you can say oh now my block is uh my cell phone i'm going to make a call who can we call you know and then you pretend that you're dialing the number and you're making the call and you then give the block to the child and get them to pretend that they're talking on the phone too and so again that's how we do it we start to uh, just introduce those things just very naturally as we play use examples from a child's previous play too so let's say that he likes to pretend basketball and so the next time you get in the bath the bathtub you know even if you don't have a basketball hoop there for the bathtub you can make one with your hands you know and say where's your ball let's play basketball and again what are you doing you are teaching a child how to use one object for another object and that's what some symbolic play is it's representational play i'm just going to pick 
one thing and pretend that it's something else. Don't overwhelm a toddler here, even at two and a half to three with too many examples. But again, work them in gradually as you play together. Uh, our best official language strategies in this period continue to be expansion and extension to get to longer phrases. And we talked about this a lot in previous shows. And what does that mean? It means you're just going to expand so that if a child uses a two-word phrase here, remember we said we want to get to uh, three and four words. And so we don't always want to do it with direct modeling and then telling him to imitate us. But if it's the only way we can get there, you know, that's what we have to work with. And so I like to try to keep it more naturalistic as a child moves toward three and certainly beyond three. But... Uh, we still need to encourage direct imitation if we don't hear a child beginning to imitate us on his own. Now, here with language, we said our biggest development here in this period is what? Asking and answering WH questions. So, he, here again, we want to be working on this in the context of conversation and that natural back and forth flow we have as we play together with children or take care of them in our homes as their parents. So instead of grilling a child where we think, oh, I'm supposed to work on these WH questions. What are you doing? Who is that? Where did you go? When will you be back? Why did you do that? You know, you certainly don't want to do that because that's not good for anybody. You know, uh, I used to kind of joke about that with when my mom would call me. Now I miss my mom calling me now, now that she's been gone a year. But when she would call me and kind of do those firing squad questions, you know, that kind of shuts down communication. And so we remember with a child, let me give you a ratio. Our ratio, if they're not talking, or minimally, well, if they're not talking, you can't really control it. But even if they're minimally verbal, uh, and just doing, say, single words and up to phrases, you want to do three of your comments about what a child is doing and talking about for every one question that you would ask a child. Now, as children get older, you might go to kind of a two-to-one. If you have a really chatty child who's going to talk with you back and forth. But if you have a kid who's on the quiet side or more reserved, think about that. Those three comments for every one question that you would ask. That is such a good reminder, not only for us as therapists, but certainly something for us to teach parents and talk to parents about too. All right, so those were our language strategies for uh, here at stage seven. Let's move on and kind of do an overview for the toys. So naturally, our toys here at stage seven are going to be toys that promote new events and new jobs. And again, by adding those additional pieces and additional accessories, we're going to be creating more actions and opportunities for language teaching too. So like we said in the last show, when we really started talking about sets of toys, toy manufacturers know this. And so little people and Fisher Price and Disney and Nickelodeon and every other company that markets toys uh, make lots of toys in little sets. So this is fantastic for us here at 30 to 36 months. So we find something that a child likes and we use these to really create extra motivation and interest in getting him to, again, play with us and do these new language things that may be a little more difficult for him. So if he likes Hot Wheels, use vehicles and make them use new things. Now, I always want to talk about variety with children because we don't want kids to get stuck. And one of the main ways that children learn how to make friends and communicate with each other in preschool and in kindergarten in those early uh, grades is that they share commonalities and they share play experiences. So kids are at a real disadvantage when they don't know how to play with toys. And so I don't buy it when speech pathologists have 
just kind of thrown out. We don't need to work on play with kids with autism because that's not something they're naturally interested in. I just, I just think we have so much value in teaching play skills and language skills. And again, just purely from a social perspective that we shouldn't necessarily throw that out. All right. So here for toys, I want to do something that we did back in stage six because we're going to use this same kind of theme as we move forward and talk about the toys here for stage seven. So let's talk about what are the best play themes for toddlers and preschoolers. And that would mean that they have universal appeal they're easy uh, for kids to talk about, easy for you to talk about, and then these are common toys that most families are going to be able to acquire or uh, borrow or find or, or already have. And so these are fantastic themes for us to use as pediatric SLPs and as parents working with our own children with language delays. So for toddlers, here are the big ones. And for toddler, I mean a child who's three or under. And sometimes, you know, we think about preschoolers as above you know, three, you might use that too. But here with toddlers with language delays, the big ones are kitchen set. So any kind of food prep, food cooking, any kind of thing like that because it's a caregiver activity. Baby doll play or any kind of doll play. They might have already moved on uh, to Barbies or superheroes or, you know, they're stuffed Disney princesses, whatever, but any kind of little doll play. The third one is a house or a playground set. So something where you have a destination and various things to do and various pieces. The next one is farm play or different maybe kind of animal play that we're going to talk about today. And then the last one would be vehicle play. So something like a garage with cars or today we're going to talk about trains. And so those are the big ones for toddlers. Now preschoolers bump up a little bit. These are kids who are really in that three to five year old uh, range. And again, remember, lots of our little friends with language delays are still going to be down here with language, but we want to keep their play bumped up so we can keep them interested. So those themes are restaurant. And so it might be pizza, ice cream shop, hot chocolate stand, a lemonade stand, anything like that. And remember we talked about here with toddlers that we might start with just that kind of kitchen play where we're asking them to fix us something to drink or make us something to eat. So I love to kind of think about how play uh, continuous and kind of look at that continuum with how children mature through that. All right, another big theme with preschoolers is birthday party or other kinds of holidays like pretending it's uh, Christmas or another time when you get presents. Uh, apples or some kind of orchard or some kind of harvest, the pumpkin patch. So something which would be an extension of what as for toddler play, an extension of that farm play. And then a pet shop, so anything but taking care of animals. And then doctor or the vet. Now, I talk about those themes for toddlers and preschoolers exclusively in podcast 436. If you want an in-depth review of kind of how to play those things and uh, what kinds of materials to use and all that information. So go back and look at podcast 436 if you want that, but we are going to talk about this today when we start to look at the toys and in next show too. All right, so when we're looking at play themes, remember we are thinking about less familiar activities. So parents may not even know how to kind of organize this play routine with their child. So you might begin the play routine with the phrase to teach a child how to get ready to play. And so this is going to be that organizational aspect. And so what do I mean by that? I mean by gathering the toys. Now, most of the time, toddlers start to play just by what? By seeing what's there and then by starting to play with them. That's great. <laughs> but as children begin to really 
think and remember and as their cognitive skills advance more and more they're going to start to want to play with things and then you know they have the idea first and then they start to gather all their toys or get it ready so that's something that you might start to do in therapy too is say something like i know we can pretend that we're going to the store what are we going to need to go to the store will you take your baby Let's get your baby. Are you going to hold your baby or is your baby going to ride? And so again, start to ask questions that help them think, oh, this is, I need to go get my baby. Oh, I've got to go find that stroller. Oh, if it's, you know, a little girl and she pretends she has a purse or a little boy takes a backpack or whatever. Oh, I've got to go get that. And so again, planning to play. That's a big part of executive functioning. And it happens here before kids even turn three. So it's a great way to start to work on that. Do some modeling and leading as you are playing, you remember that's called scaffolding, where we are helping a child get to that next level by just giving him that next little thing that he needs, you know, with our cues. And I'll give you some examples uh, as we are talking through some of these higher level toys. But let's don't wait any longer. We're finally ready to move on and review the toys here at stage seven. Before we take a look at those recommended toys, let's one more time review our primary focuses here so that we remember exactly what our goals are as we're looking at all these cool toys. Number one, we want to use a lot of sets so that we can teach children how to expand their play and we need more stuff so that they can add more steps number two we want to help children learn how to take on specific roles during play remember what we said we're going to talk to them about names for those roles and what those what a person does when they're doing that role so that they really understand number three we're going to help children learn how to talk to dolls and characters so we need to be sure that we have dolls and characters so that we can model that for them during that uh, as we're playing together. Number four, we want to help a child learn how to organize and group toys in play. So even if they're not really planning their play per se, they start to have those little moments where they think, oh, I need this. And they either go get something that's a more realistic prop or they naturally become more symbolic because they have to invent something or use one object to represent something else. So a great way to kind of help that move along. Uh, fifth, we want to help a child include other children during parallel play. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today, but a lot in the next show. So between three and four, when uh, their play uh, matures to cooperative and associative play. So we'll talk about that. And then lastly, we want to be sure that we are looking at a kid's total development. And so we want to talk about fine motor play to help those skills continue to move along. So let's start with our discussion with that with wooden puzzles. So we have been talking about puzzles now for a long time, all the way back to when we had those baby puzzles, even before a year old and kids were, uh, there was maybe a circle and there was a mirror under there and we just wanted a, a baby to really begin to explore that and so now we're all the way up to where uh, back at 24 to 30 months we said that kids could do six to ten pieces on these inset wooden puzzles well now from two and a half to three we're ready to bump up that complexity when we use these puzzles so that there's not just a direct visual match so how do we do that we might find puzzles that uh, match colored puzzle pieces to the same black and white picture underneath and so you'll notice with some kids some kids get it right away don't have a problem with that but you can see some children really really struggling uh, to decide if that's the same picture or not and certainly for our friends who are still continuing to have fine motor issues and control issues and 
issues with their visual perceptual skills. You know, I'm not sure what shape this puzzle is. This is still a great tool for you to use in therapy. Now, another way to bump this up is uh, to use puzzles with no picture at all. <laughs> I struggle with some of these, especially when I'm upside down, like, whoa, where does that go? And so uh, this is a great way to practice. I love this puzzle. And we talked about how much fun magnets are for kids that are two and three and uh, beyond that. And so uh, this one is great. It's an insect catching puzzle. There's a net here with a magnet. And so this puzzle is great for what we talked about in the last couple of stages, which is deconstruction. Remember what we said about that? We would have a child take a toy apart rather than putting it together. So this toy's built like that. And you can find other puzzles like that, that fish that have magnets, or I have a car puzzle uh, with magnets like this. So that's a fun thing to use here, two and a half to three. Now, the real bump up that we are going to do with puzzles with children, especially as they are three and beyond, is learn how to do real jigsaw puzzles. Now, you can get these in the wooden insect kind, and I've tried to not put all the puzzle pieces in here so you can see that it's not quite the same. You know, it's more like a jigsaw puzzle. So a lot of kids are gonna be ready for this, and how I teach it is, is what we should do for language with this is really teach them how to think. And so, you know, they're using short phrases, so use a lot of short phrases for, uh, and you can even work on your question goals here. You know, what goes here? Which one goes here? What goes here? And so you're looking, oh, I see a number three. And then let's look at your pieces. Do you have something that has a three? And so they find it and put it in. And then next you would say something like, you know, and of course I can't get it to fit upside down and on camera, but that's okay. You know, next you might say, oh, I see a wheel. Look down here. Let's find your wheels. And so this is how you teach them how to do it. You may not even put all the pieces, well, you may not leave all the pieces out. You may go ahead like I've done here and fill in some of the pieces so that you are from the get-go making it simpler and just having a child. You know, ideally, I probably would have put the uh, piece here as well so that we've got some really good boundaries and so that a child really sees the pieces that are missing. So that's a great way to segue into harder puzzles. Last week, when I was researching for this show and ordering some toys, which has been real fun for me, I found these great transition puzzles, and so I haven't used them yet, but I know they're going to be fantastic for kids who, again, maybe even older preschoolers who haven't transitioned to jigsaw puzzles yet, but this is called a ladder puzzle, and it's really a graduated set so that there are uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, six different puzzles here, <coughs> pardon me. But the first little puzzle has only three pieces with the giraffe. And so only three pieces to get together for that first little jigsaw. The next, uh, the next one is a lion and it has four pieces. So great way to kind of build up that complexity and not frustrate a child right from the beginning with something that's new. Uh, I found another little wooden set. Now these are tiny little pieces, but again, might be a great transition here and this um and i don't mean tiny piece it's just smaller than say the wooden puzzle that we were using uh, but this one only has three pieces or maybe four and so again really simple for children who are moving into doing something that's um a little more difficult now i like teaching a child how to use puzzles like this because 
it gives us an opportunity to kind of work on something other than language. We're working on cognition here. And for some kids, this is such a good break in the middle of working on speech or language that's been so hard for them. So this is a great kind of calming activity when we've revved a kid up or he's just kind of gotten that way and you need to pull it back down and come do a sit down activity. This might be something that would be interesting enough and motivating enough and something they, that's just novel enough to make a child want to do it. So I really, really I want to recommend these. Now, like we talked about back in show 471, sometimes kids need a bump to be able to do puzzles because they, you know, just something that's unexpected. So make it a relay. You know, even with these little jigsaw puzzles, if they get better at them and can do it, you know, or are more motivated if there's kind of a running component. But put the, the uh, especially with this kind of little puzzle, put put the wooden puzzle on the other side of the room and you hold the pieces and then have the child run back and forth, you know, request a new piece or, you know, I need a wing or where's the window, you know, so you're working on your other parts of an object goal and increasing vocabulary. So it'd be a good, good way to work on those uh, two. We're going to talk about something in uh, the next stage between age three and age four with using obstacle courses to do that kind of thing. So I hope you'll stick with me through this whole series to get even more great therapy ideas with puzzles. So that was it for puzzles. Now let's move on. I want to show you this next cute woodpecker toy and this is another toy with magnets and another great toy for helping a child really start to um, have more control during fine motor activities. And again, remember what we're getting ready uh, to have a kid do as we're working on the, all this fine motor stuff is in preparation for handwriting. <laughs> and so sometimes you tell a parent that and they can't believe that tie-in. They kind of get surprised by that. And so talk with them about that. And even as a speech language pathologist, we want to look at children in their entirety and treat the whole child. So when we have a kid who really needs some help with that, it's great to be able to overlap language with helping him work on his fine motor skills too. Now your obvious language targets for this are in and out, so any kind of preposition. And remember what we said, we're going to use phrases. So, you know, we want to take it, uh, you know, the worm comes out or out of the hole or in the hole is what I usually practice, you know, when I'm doing this at the beginning. And certainly kids can request, you know, I want a purple worm, I want a pink worm, you know, particularly if you're trying to build and get longer sentences with using kind of a rote carrier phrase there or an anchor phrase there to help a child be able to add more words because he's not uh, using to a totally new sentence structure every time. You provided that uh, basic formation there with I want the, and he adds, you know, purple worm, green worm, whatever. But cute, cute toy. Lots of kids love it, so I wanted to be sure to show it to you. Now I want to talk to you about stringing beads. Now this is another OT activity <laughs> that lots of speech language pathologists may overlook, but it's a developmental skill that starts to really come in between two and a half and three. And I want to show you a couple of different versions of this activity that I really like. I like this Melissa and Doug set to begin with because the characters are always bigger. And so with this particular set, I think there are a couple different variations and I'll link them in the toy list below and again you can find all the links for the toys that we're going to talk about and review today uh, here at the bottom of the post on YouTube or on my website at Teach Me to Talk and you can just search stage seven toys if you want to see the toy list there but I like this Melissa and Doug set because it's bigger and I usually give kids a lot of verbal directions when they're doing this and again because we're naturally talking about location words 
words. So words like, you know, in the tree and pull it out of the tree. And so help them walk through it like that. And, uh, you know, they're really learning how to use two hands together. And so, you know, you'll talk about hold the stick in this hand and your animal in this hand. Where's the hole? Push it in. Goes in the horse. Now, oh, your stick comes out. Pull it out. Pull, pull, pull. And so uh, that's how you do it. Now, I love working on this for sequencing. And this is another good toy that you could practice uh, with kids who have difficulty retaining uh, two steps or three steps of following directions. And remember, we said that we were just going to do that by having them get two or three items. So start with two and say, oh, I want you to string the cow and the chicken. You find it. Find the cow and the chicken. You know, and after they get good at two, you know, add three. You know, let's find the cow, the chicken, and the sheep. And have them really get those three out and ready. And that's what they'll string next. So that's a great way to work on that. I also like for kids who are older than 36 months old is teaching the conjunction and with this. And again, it's not completely developmentally appropriate. It's this next step beyond. But it's such a perfect goal for this. So we're going to, and I say, we put the cow on. You know, put the cow on and put the sheep on and, you know, and chicken and duck and tractor, you know, whatever. And it really, really is a nice way, I found, to teach that conjunction and. All right, I've got a couple of other sets, same kind of premise. These are for older children. This is a new set that I just ordered when I was prepping for this show, but I thought it was precious. Uh, and I think it's great for tying in with this stage because there are community helpers on here. So remember how we talked about new jobs and new roles? And lots of kids are so interested in vehicles anyway. So naturally, we can talk about the school bus driver, the farmer who drives the tractor, uh, the firefighter who drives the fire truck. So great way to kind of introduce that uh, kind of role play. And so sometimes, you know, I think I'm supposed to talk about this later, but I'll go ahead and talk about it now. Sometimes we introduce roles with a toy or um Again, sometimes it's based on what the, the child already is interested in. So you know he's got a little bit of interest in playing or pretend play. That's, that's how I should say it. We introduce the pretend play, you know, with a toy or, again, we're pulling on that previous experience. So if you see that he has an interest in these kinds of things, but he hasn't quite begun to play with that yet, and he's not quite to the point that, you know, you think that he would understand that he's pretending he's the daddy driving the tractor, this is kind of a great segue. So we're going to introduce uh, kind of that general theme with, with the worker kind of theme. And so this is something that will persist throughout uh, preschool, but it's a great way to kind of get it going with toddlers. And this is a more symbolic set that you can work on uh, stringing with. And I, I got this years and years ago. I mean, this set might be 20 years old, but you can find it at like a craft store or I actually think I might have gotten this at Walmart, but it's over in the bead section. And so these are just different shaped uh, farm animals and people. We've got a whole bag here. So great activity for a little group. But again, you are working on stringing. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that you had different ideas and different variations. And you can get the links for uh, both of these sets here below. So let's continue talking about that community helper theme. And again, remember this may be a little developmentally young for some of our little friends. But as they get closer to 36 months and certainly beyond three to four. This is a great kind of transition toy. Uh, 
to help get you there. But it's uh, like we said, it's a great way to introduce these new pretend play themes. And let's talk about blocks because we haven't talked about this in a few shows and kind of what kids should be doing here. Um, these graduated sets or graded sets of blocks are fantastic for helping children learn how to stack and learn about size. Uh, sometimes if they're going to stack a bigger one on a small one, the small one will disappear. So that's a, a lot of fun for helping even teach about negation and something not being there and certainly object permanent. So great, great set and kids have a lot of fun with that. Uh, back to our milestone about blocks. I looked it up and by 36 months, children should be able to stack 10 small blocks. And so when we talk about small blocks, we're usually referring to blocks like this. This is from an assessment kit from a long time ago. I think it's from maybe the Battelle or something that I used to use. Uh, but these small one-inch blocks are what that milestone is actually based on. So this is a good way to practice if a kid's not there yet. But I wanted to mention it to you because, again, we're talking about lots of different kinds of toys in these stages of play. And so even though kids are a little bit older and even though we've, we've uh, moved on to symbolic play with pretending, let's not... Uh, lose sight of what our basic skills are and so block stacking is still an important skill for all toddlers and preschoolers. Now let's talk about another toddler favorite. It would be toys with keys and remember we are still under that section if you're following along on your handout with toys that facilitate fine motor skill development and so toys with keys are fantastic and you can almost always hook a child back into playing with you by introducing a toy with keys if it's something again that he's that may be more novel or something lots of kids love it and will sit and will play with you for a long long time with this kind of thing so it's one a kind of toy that i kind of consider an activity winner because i know it's something that i can use for lots of different kids uh over a big developmental age range now there are differences well let me just say Toys with keys are hard for kids, and so some kids will become frustrated with it, but for some kids, I think it's just challenging enough, and then they have to learn how to match, so for lots of the uh, toys with keys, and so they have to match the key color to the door color, and so you can talk about words like same and different, and again, that's just, uh, that those understanding those kinds of words actually come in in the next developmental period between three and four, but this is a fantastic introductory activity, and words like match you know kids are certainly learning how to match they're matching by color uh, they certainly match as they are doing puzzles so again another uh, they're going to match forever as they learn letter identification and when they're starting to read and write so it's certainly something that again we want to facilitate in this toddler period let me show you these three different toys i love this little batak garage um, the key operates up at the top or down at the bottom so kids get lots of practice with that I think I've locked it up. Oh, this is stuck. I've owned this toy for a long time. It's stuck today. But the uh, there are cars inside. I probably should have demoed that before I brought it here on screen, but that's okay. You get the premise here. There's a garage, and you can put the keys in the top, as well as uh, with the doors, and they are a lot easier to open. I just haven't used this toy in a long, long time. The second one is this animal hospital, and these kind of toys, you can either, they're either called Batat, or you can, I may be pronouncing that wrong, uh, or uh, the Bee Toys line, and you can find these on Amazon, and the links are below, or Target used to exclusively carry these toys too. So there are lots of different versions of this animal hospital. It comes with little stuffed animals, 
uh, and some doctor kinds of tools. So great transition to playing a pet shop or uh, pretending you are the vet. Uh, but I use this little house for anything. So anything that a child is interested in, I'll hide those kinds of toys behind the doors. And again, the keys make it just motivating enough for a kid to want to stay with it and do it a long time. Now, because... Um, kids are looking for things you can certainly and, and because it's a new toy this certainly lends itself to talking uh, and with using questions and addressing your questions goal so learning how to ask questions and answer questions and so certainly you can uh, do things like you know here's the blue key what door is blue you know where does it go and asking those kinds of things what did you find what's in there who is that but certainly we can set up ways uh, to make it a little more easy for children to begin to ask us these questions too so anytime let's just kind of run through this anytime that we're working on getting a child to ask a what question so what's that so what i usually do is try to make a big fanfare about it now we've modeled it a lot so they've heard what's that what's that what's that or or even something like you know what's the man doing you want to model it and set that question up for a long time and then you just set up the same kind of thing but do your pregnant pause or your tell me face where you're sitting there going saying things like wow Oh, goodness, it's so cool. Ooh, and to promote that or just the bringing it out of a bag or a box or something with lots of dramatic fanfare. Lots of times that'll promote the what's that or what's the guy character doing question. To promote where something is, hide things that a kid wants. So, to, you know, if after you've been playing with this toy for a while, if you're working on where questions, Hide the keys, you know, put them under your leg or behind the house or something. And when the child's looking for it, you've naturally uh, got that opportunity to model where. And I use this as my gesture for where. And you can certainly, if a child hasn't said the word where before, set that up with a little song, you know. So, where, oh, where, oh, where are keys? Where, oh, where, oh, where are keys? Where, oh, where, oh, where are keys? Where can your keys be? And then look for the keys. So, a lot of times kids, I'll start to see them, you know, pop their hands out and start to bounce like let's sing this song well before they're able to ask the question and so that's a great great way to introduce it uh, for asking who uh, you know again like we talked about with what's that same thing with who you know who's that or who's gonna open the door whose turn is it and sometimes giving this to thing to mom so she can kind of whisper coach her child you know ask Laura who's that and so again providing that scaffolding and that cue so that a child knows how to answer those questions uh, great way to work on that here's a little older set for uh, it's a Melissa and Doug house so older keys a little more difficult um, I don't know if I can do it and like I told you I put all kinds of toys in this house when I opened this I found my toy story characters that I've been looking for haven't played with this toy in a long time either but I work on, uh, with this kind of generic house that comes with generic dolls, you know, you can certainly work on uh, even gender pronouns. And especially, you know, we haven't gotten there yet, but we said here at 30 to 36 months, we want a child understanding gender. So even using some generic dolls, if, I don't think I have them over here, but to say, you know, 
you know, let's find the boy. The boy's going to hide in door number two or whatever, whatever number that is, if I'm saying the incorrect number. Or let's let a girl hide in door number three. And so, again, a great way to kind of talk about gender, and you're certainly going to ask the child, you know, are you a boy or a girl, and really kind of work through all of that. And, again, that's in preparation for gender pronouns. So toys with keys are a fun, fun way to work on more fine motor control for our little friends who are toddlers. Now let's move on to talk about those toys that were related to those big themes that we talked about. Remember we said for toddlers, kitchens, baby dolls, house or playground set, farms and vehicles. And then we're gonna talk about how to use those themes to maybe segue into those new jobs and events. So we might even be taking a toy or a similar toy that we talked about in previous stages and moving on. So let's do that next. Now baby dolls are going to be fun for kids all the way until their school age. So it's a great investment and you'll be able to use them for a long, long time. Now here at this stage, what can be more fun for kids is adding larger accessories than we've used in the previous stages. So something like a pretend high chair or a baby bed in actual crib, or a stroller. And I think we've even mentioned that back even before too, when we were talking about uh, toys that promote movement and lots of kids who need that movement break while you're working with them on harder things during your therapy time. That's gonna be a real benefit for you because you can still work on their play skills and their language skills while at the same time providing that movement break. So great, great way to do that with dolls. Now, a good thing, uh, well, let's talk about this first. Uh, to help a child here, remember what we said, we want new jobs, new events, and longer sequences of play. So you're always going to ask the same kinds of things, you know, what comes next? What's your baby want to do now? What should your baby do? So that's a great way to kind of get that next step. And remember, you're probably going to have more accessories out, you know, at this, at, with feeding a doll with the high chair. You're certainly going to have maybe even your toy microwave that we had back in stage six or all that pretend food that we used that you could cut. That would be a great way to prepare the food for the baby and then have the baby sit in the high chair and then feed the baby. Or maybe even that uh, doll bathtub that we had last time back in stage six. And I'll link that show below since I've mentioned it so much but go back and watch that previous show because you can expand the play that we started in the last stage with this stage and so maybe even that baby bathtub that you got you know we were gonna you know wash the baby and give the baby a bath and then maybe move on to the next kinds of things that we're talking about with our pretend play themes so one great pretend play theme that's going to be a natural extension with baby dolls is getting a little doctor set now remember we talked about how this can be tied into pleasurable or traumatic experiences that a child has uh, had recently and so certainly going to the doctor is something that most children remember and it's uh, it's a special event for them because it's not something that happens all the time. Now I love this little starter kit from uh, Fisher Price and not so much for baby doll play and although again that's a natural extension and you'll want to do it but this is just a great set for you to begin to play doctor with a child and so I love the little um, shot thing here it's got a little lever on it that makes it fun for kids to push there's a cool uh, blood pressure cuff here and then even the stethoscope so that you and the child you know are playing that together and so you know take turns and this is where we talked about shifting roles where you're the doctor and you examine the child and you know pretend to do funny stuff and you know you're gonna say oh I'm gonna listen to your heart now Here's my stethoscope. And I, I forgot to say this. At the beginning, because this is really a new toy and because it's already kind of built in 
uh, with the bag here, make it super dramatic about, you know, taking the toys out and talking about what it is, you know, and saying, you know, something like, I'll model it for you. Do something like, oh, we're going to play doctor. You want to see what I have? Let's see what's in here. Let's look. Oh, my goodness. What's that? What's this? Oh, it's a blood pressure cuff. It goes on your arm, and so you might put it on the child's arm and then pump it up. And so, again, you're showing that child how to play. This is the adult modeling piece that we talked about. So, great way to kind of get that going. Talk to moms, if you're a therapist, about, you know, the kinds of things that the child has done at the doctor. You know, if it's been pleasant, if it's been traumatic, you know. Do they get shots? Is that something you should pretend? You know, if it's a child who's had no vaccinations, that's not going to make any sense. And so, you know, again, that's a great, great way to get doctor play going. And, and talk about, you know, what you do. And again, the shifting roles part's really important. Don't forget a set of Band-Aids. <laughs> that can always make... Uh, pretend play let's say that you're doing this and you feel like a child doesn't really get it and you need kind of a hook to help him want to stay with you band-aids or lotion are great things to use when you're playing baby dolls or doctors uh, so a fun little set be sure to check out the handout because I've got even more little ideas for what you could say with what you're playing with that but this is a great transition activity and we'll talk about more and more of these things throughout the rest of stage seven and on into stage eight our next option is the house play theme. And now kids are really ready to have more sets with smaller pieces. And the, actually, the play pieces get tinier and tinier as a child moves towards school age. But I love this little Peppa house here uh, for toddlers. I think I've got a, still, got a little string right there. Uh, when I play with this with toddlers, I think about lots of opportunities for vocabulary development. And like I said, in all the previous shows, I put toys in some kind of bag and you can use an ugly two and a half gallon Ziploc like I do or get yourself some cuter cloth bags. But make a big deal about pulling all the pieces out. Now, lots of times when we give a child a bag with lots of pieces, what's he naturally going to do? He's going to dump it all out and do nothing but explore. And so if you have a kid like that or a kid who's more of a hoarder or a kid who likes to line things up instead of play, you probably have to limit some of your pieces so that you can, again, make playtime about teaching language and playing rather than correcting behavior and begging them to let go of some of those toys. <laughs> So just, you know, again, use your common sense right there with by giving too much that goes to that. So we want to keep it uh, with pretending here and with working on our language goals. So when you're taking a lot of these toys out, you know, we talked about questions. So, you know, you might label what it is, you know, what's that? What's this? Hmm, I see water. Hmm, what is that? That's a sink. You know, where does the sink go? And so you find the kitchen to put the sink in the kitchen. And, you know, you move on and do that with the bathtub or do that with the chair, uh, the bed, you know, all of the other really common and familiar household item names. So great way to do that. Play becomes even more fun and you have even more opportunities when you add even additional accessories beyond what you've gotten with the house set. So you certainly have gotten your people, but you might add the playground set that we talked about last time in stage six or even something that... <coughs> excuse me, you might think about as a little older toy, I've got a Barbie glam pool here and you can certainly mix and match your pieces and why do you want to do that? 
is to provide more options for sequencing and more options for steps. And remember what we said about 50 times now? We want new jobs and new events. So if a child has been on vacation or gone to, uh, you know, gone out of town and they've, you know, been at the hotel with the swimming pool and mom tells you about that or, you know, she says, excuse me, last week we went to the park. Think about those opportunities for pulling that into your next session for a child. And be prepared with some of these really familiar play themes. Not only so you have something to do in therapy, but then talk to mom and dad about it. And how important play is for language development. All the things that they can work on. And that's why your handouts will be so good for the show. Uh, from the show, you can present that during therapy. You know, talk about these themes and then give the parents that you're working with a copy of that. So they can work on uh, those things too. And remember what we said about all of those previous goals that we said that a child uh, was working on at stage six <clears throat> that we want him to master here at stage seven. So our plurals, our pronouns, our prepositions, all of those other kinds of goals, those ing verbs, perfect for targeting here with a set like um, just a little character set like this Peppa set. But I wanted to introduce it to you. And again, if you're a pediatric speech therapist, this is your bread and butter. This is the kind of play that we want to promote, that we want to facilitate with children, and then that we want to teach parents how to do too. For the last several stages, we've been talking about farm animal play, but remember what I said in the introduction. Now it's time to bump it up a little bit so kids have some new things to talk about and do. So let's talk about other animal play options. I love zoo animal play or dinosaur play or insect play or whatever else a kid is into. And you can find these little sets almost anywhere. And remember we said that they are great for vocabulary development. And if you put them in, if they already come in a container or if if you put them in a big box so that uh, or a bag so that you are pulling them out with that fanfare and again remember we're working on those WH questions so asking what's that or who's that or you know again what's he doing or uh, those kinds of things those kinds of questions are really going to again get a kid hooked in get your basic vocab going and then you expand to play now you can add something some kind of prop and make this play even more fun. I like to add safari trucks <laughs> because kids are into that and it really kind of brings in that vehicle play theme too. You can make a destination. A lot of times I'll use the barn from farm animals and kids think that's fine. Or one other fun idea that I've done for a long time is make a zoo cage. And so to do that, just take a shoe box or any other leftover box at home probably from your latest Amazon delivery <laughs> and punch holes in the top and the bottom and then take some black yarn and just string it through like those are the cage bars and you might even do that together as a little craft for a child so that you are again involving them in sequencing those steps because that's always what helps kids learn how to add more steps and remember what we said if you lose a kid it's usually because you've it's either too hard or too simple so if you've done two too many steps in that little craft you know I got to pull it back I can't have you know five or six steps here I've just got to get all everything assembled and like we're talking about making the cage and just maybe only punch the holes and have him help me pull the string through or for another kid it might even be finding the box and kind of then finding the yarn and going through the whole thing but but my point here is adjust if you're losing a kid because you've included too many steps make it simpler if you've made it too simple 
add some more stuff so that you can keep a kid with you with that participation and with his attention all right some of these little things let me just say some of these little sets are going to still be too small for children to use even up at that 30 to 36 month level because they're still real mouthy and remember what we said in previous shows if you are spending all of your time or most of your time correcting behavior or keeping kids safe <laughs> like not eating the zoo animal toys that's not a good activity for you so you always want to kind of keep that in mind too with what a child is uh, maturation wise really able to do now uh, with these kinds of toys too when you have a kid who's not quite ready for that and again you're still mostly focused on vocabulary development back up to what we did in stage six and put some of these animals in some kind of uh, sensory box and remember we said that sand is really popular for two-year-olds but you can do something like this gift bag filler that i love because it sort of seems like dirt or uh you know something that looks more like outside and so hide those animals in there and for kids you know pull them out and begin that kind of play with that sort of thing where you're really introducing that vocabulary and then maybe add one piece at a time or you know the barn so again you've got your you're introducing it with the sensory box but then you've got some other kind of more pretend play things to do after you've introduced the animal so again you can use this with like i said dinosaurs or bugs if kids are real into that or you know little reptile sets frogs whatever whatever they find but Kids are really ready by three to get some new activities, especially if you are a therapist or a parent and you've played with the same little four farm animals for months and months. <laughs> you need to get yourself some new tools. So think about that. And this is a great way to kind of bump that play up. Now, the next set that I want to talk to you about is vehicle play. And today we're going to talk about trains. <laughs> now, lots of our little friends kind of get stuck here, right? This is kind of one of the classic obsessive play themes for our little friends who may go on to be diagnosed with autism. And sometimes therapists say, I don't even want to mess with that kind of play because he stems and he gets stuck and it's hard. And I get that. But we also have to balance the motivation piece. A child is going to be much more motivated to play if it's something he's interested in. So we do kind of have to find that balance between something he likes, but that's something he will let us be a part of. And if trains become so obsessive for a child that they can't let anybody else intrude on their own little self-isolated play schemes, then you don't want to use it. But anytime we can use what a child loves, we know we're going to get better attention from that child. So I like trains when we can kind of, and this would go for anything, you know, whatever a kid's little hot button item happens to be. And again, there's a difference between a preference and an obsession. So again, uh, the advice that we just talked about too, if we're managing behavior or not really getting what we want to get language-wise or play-wise, we know that that's probably not the best tool for us to use during our therapy time so thomas and trains are just a really prevalent theme and have been for a long long time it's probably calmed down now a little bit from what it was if you worked like me you know 15 and 20 years ago it was really 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 popular uh, but the destination for uh, and accessories for a really popular item that a child likes or what will help you extend the play ideas to take on some new roles you could add some people with your thomas play so that you have the conductor or 
uh, the station master or whatever you want to call him. Uh, you could add some animals for this kind of play and put them in the back of the trailer here. And certainly we have a little pond that a, an animal could drink or swim, uh, swim in or, you know, any other thing. But use your imagination and combine your sets so that you do come up with those more naturalistic opportunities for new roles and new things to think about. Now here's another train option. This is actually a Melissa and Doug set that's in a case. Now this is a case too. Um, and anytime you can... Well, it's going to be terrible if I can't fold it up. But anytime you can make, anytime you can make something portable, it's going to be easier for you to carry and a ton more fun for kids. They love it. Toddlers love toys with handles that they can carry around from place to place. So a great, great little place out there. And then this one's even better with your big Melissa and Doug set. Sorry for the noise. Uh, but your trains come in this set and so super portable. Great for parents who are traveling and want kind of a more contained play set. I won't take out all the pieces, but you see the trains here, and we spread it out so that it's really big. So again, another uh, another great play set that I found work really, really well for lots of kids, especially kids that like vehicles. Now let me say, if a kid is kind of stuck on trains, or maybe he's stuck on Hot Wheel cars, Try to expand it with something that's similar and familiar, but not exactly the same thing. And that's how we expand variety with kids who are harder and who have those more narrowly <laughs> self-defined toy preferences right there. So if you've got a kid who loves trains, try to bring some of these other accessories in. You know, try, try to get the boat to go in the water by the trains or the trucks need to be, you know, transported on the trains to the factory that makes the trucks or where they sell the trucks or the, the daddy gets a new truck, you know, whatever it is that you come up with that would make sense to that child or, or enough of a plot to kind of carry it along. But that's a great option and I wanted to be sure to talk about that. Now, I work a lot with questions when we're working with the child's really favorite uh, little toy because usually they already have the supportive vocabulary to be able to answer those questions. So it is a perfect therapy material here to use at stage seven when we're working on uh, getting more of those questions, asking and answering those questions. And be sure to check out the handout, like I said, because there will be some additional play ideas on the handout. I love this next play idea. It's a sensory play opportunity. Now, remember, we talked about this back in show 471 at stage six, and we said our rules for making a sensory box would be that we need a container and we need a filler. And so our filler can be anything. We said it could be something dry like rice or like pasta or like beans. You know, after a child gets past that mouthy stuff that we've already talked about, that mouthy stage where we just spend our whole time saying, don't eat that, don't eat that, don't eat that, rather than playing. You know, we want to use a different filler if that's the case, or wait until that child is a little older. Uh, but today we're going to use water, and water play is a really, really, really fun thing for all kids, but especially kids here who are still in this toddler phase. Now, I love this set of water blocks, and you can find the link below, and here's why I like it. It's great for our little friends who are into constructive play, and remember, Remember what I, what do I mean by that? I mean, they love blocks. They love Legos. They love anything that they can connect to make bigger and bigger and bigger. But sometimes those kids kind of get stuck and, and really uh, have a hard time uh, becoming symbolic. Like it, they're just stacking their blocks and their blocks. They don't ever really become a house or a tower or that next little level so that they can begin to pretend. So these water blocks are great for that because you're going to hook a kid's attention because they float. And so naturally you're going to need it to give a kid some time to kind of get used to 
that and really play with that before you start kind of all of your introducing this pretending. And so this set has lots of different shapes, just like any other kind of block set. But you can, you know, talk about, you know, here's my house, let's build a house. Uh, and you may start with let's build a tower, you know, and then what, what, and this would usually have more water in it, or, you, you know, you might even do this with a baby pool or a bigger sensory table or something like that. But you might start with, you know, let's build a tower, but then you can start to switch it to, oh my goodness, these are windows. Look, oh, you're building a house. Wow. Look at your house. Look at that with the windows or a building or a city or whatever. But I've just found this is a great way to help kids who are having difficulty make that leap. So super, super toy. I wanted uh, to be sure to share that with you because it does give you some additional options, again, for our kids who are harder, who are having more difficulty making that leap. So uh, take a look at those blocks if that's something that you think you need. Now, the last toy I want to talk to you about today is Play-Doh, and it is a big one <laughs> for kids who are in this two and a half to three-year-old range. Now, you may have already introduced Play-Doh before this point, and that's fine, and that's fine, but you know how I am about talking about kids who still mouth. And so until a kid is really developmentally ready to play with Play-Doh, I don't really start because sometimes, again, it is more trouble than it's worth. And you are working on, you are working on again, managing behavior when you should be working on developing play skills and language. And I have said that a lot in this show. So if you take nothing else away from that, I hope that you will uh, that will be important to you. All right, so start with the basic set. So if you've never introduced Play-Doh before, you've got a lot of just exploring for a child to do as they, you know, learn uh, about the texture and about the smell. Some kids will like it and like to uh, manipulate the Play-Doh with their hands, but some kids won't, our kids with tactile aversions. So for those kids, accessories are going to actually make it a lot easier for them to be able to tolerate the texture of the Play-Doh. Now get yourself a basic set at the beginning, like some Play-Doh scissors so that a child can cut the Play-Doh, which is tons of fun. And again, that preschool prep of learning how to use scissors is a pretty big deal. Lots of kids can't do it at two, and that's all right. You can stick with other kinds of accessories. I've got this great construction Play-Doh set. That's a ton of fun for kids. There's a little uh, tower here that you can roll and uh, turn the wheel and then the Play-Doh comes out the bottom. And again, it's smushed up and kids love that. You know, pre you're pretending that you're the construction worker. And some of these other pieces will smush the Play-Doh and uh, push it through the holes. And there's a cutter on this one. So lots of more pretend fun after kids are in this two and a half to three year old range. And again, before then, if you try to introduce some of these before children are ready, they're not going to know what to do or they're going to take the truck away from the table or the place that you're playing the Play-Doh and just do something that, again, is more developmentally appropriate. So wait until kids are ready. And that's something that I see a lot is sometimes moms jump ahead and they wonder why their child's not really into it. It's because the child's not developmentally there yet. So I think two and a half to three is the perfect time to start Play-Doh. Maybe, maybe start a little sooner with these really basic things like making a ball or making a snake or, you know, using cookie cutters. But once children get a little bit beyond that, and especially when they're at the stage where they start to really pretend and take on new jobs with new events, uh, these are great little sets to use. Now, my very favorite Play-Doh toy is this Play-Doh Barbershop, and I've owned lots and lots of versions of this. Unfortunately, it will kind 
kind of wear out with lots and lots of use. So if you've been a speech pathologist for years and years like I have, you're going to need more than one over the course of your career. But the basic premise for this set is that the toy uh, makes the hair grow like you can see here and toddlers and preschoolers think this is hysterical and then you've got lots of pretend options here where you can cut the hair you've got a shaver we can brush the guy's hair we can shave this shave it off too with this razor so tons of pretend play opportunities and then it once you've played this kind of thing you might even do something and make it a little more fabulous uh, and we're going to talk about this a lot more at stage eight, where then we uh, really do even more role playing when kids get to do dress up. But that happens after 36 months. And those kinds of things are the things that we're going to talk about on the next show. But that is all for today. And I love that you've hung in here with me this long to look at all these cool toys and really talk about how we can facilitate play and language skills for our little friends who are here at this two and a half to three year old level. I do want to show you some additional written resources that I have for you at Teach Me to Talk. If you are a parent and working on language development at home or a professional who works with toddlers and preschoolers with communication challenges. The first one is this Teach Me to Talk therapy manual. It lists all the milestones for children for both receptive and expressive language from below 12 months all the way to 48 months. So the things that we were talking about like teaching pronouns and teaching ing verbs and uh, teaching uh, just different words, vocabulary development, uh, teaching those real specific goals like stating your first and last name and answering questions like uh, for object functions. This book will tell you how to do it. So if you don't have that yet, get yourself a copy of this because it's a great, great resource to direct not only your professional therapy practice, but your home practice if you're a parent working with your own child. The next one is the Autism Workbook and play is hard for some of our little guys who go on to be diagnosed with autism. And so uh, play is an entire focus area. Here in the Autism Workbook, there are actually 12 different focus areas, seven big ones and five kind of sub uh, sets or sub areas that you can work on with a child with autism. But it's a comprehensive treatment plan. So if you are really struggling with what exactly do I need to teach this child, get yourself a copy of the Autism Workbook because it will help you. And now my last and latest therapy manual is the Late Talker Workbook. It was released in fall of 2023. There are three fabulous evidence-based plans for working with children who are late talkers, whether they are still hanging down here at the two-year-old range or even our, some of our older friends can really benefit from these strategies too. There's uh, plan A is all about talking and it's for parents and therapists who want a sit-down structured therapy approach. Plan B is for building language at home and it's for a parent who's doing lots of um, using your language strategies within your everyday routines that you already do with your child. So it's a, we don't have time to sit down and do therapy. We've got to get it done while we go through our day. That's plan B. And plan C is a more comprehensive plan. We walk through the six C's of communication and I share with you therapy activities along with activities to do in your everyday routines to make it easier for a child to learn how to communicate. So those are fantastic resources and I have probably, oh, those are three books. I have uh, you know five or six more books that you can look at too on our website at teach me to talk so if you are a pediatric therapist I hope that you will check out those materials too all right that's it for today and for this 
course in stages of play. We're going to do one more course in this series, stage eight, and finish up from ages three to ages four. So I hope that you'll join me for that. All right, that's all for today. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and this has been Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Thank you.